hello and welcome to the Theory of Plastic Surgery podcast. Um, For our first edition today, we're going to kick off by talking about breast reconstruction. This topic was the uh, subject of a recent departmental teaching session at our hospital, so to follow on from that, I thought I would use the material as the foundation for this first podcast. For those um, wondering what this podcast is going to be all about, I felt it was... uh, Uh, necessary to have some form of listening material in order to get to work whether on my bike or whether on the train uh, commuting to hospital um, I had a look around at the other podcasts available a lot of which focuses on the current evidence uh, and journal articles and therefore I thought there was a niche for just covering all of the basic topics that we're all expected to know whilst operating in theatre hopefully this will provide you all with some basic knowledge Uh, please feel free to give us some feedback uh, whether at the blog page at uh, topspodcast.wordpress.com or drop us an email on the website. As I said before, the aim of these podcasts really is to cover some of the historical context for the techniques, discuss the history, patient evaluation preoperatively, and then some of the nuances of particular approaches or current evidence. Any papers will be discussed will be listed in the blog uh, post found at our uh, WordPress page um, and along with any extra material. So to get started, it's probably important to start with understanding the embryology of the breast bud. Uh, this can really be divided into two phases, and we had a great talk last week about, about this. Um, the non-hormonal dependent and hormonal dependent phases. The uh, non-hormonal dependent phase is uh, during embryological development in the womb. As early as the seventh week of embryological um, development, the milk lines form as thickenings of epidermis of the mammary ridge along the front space of both sexes. This appears before sexual differentiation, which explains why males have nipples after initial development. It also explains uh, why, when the milk line goes into remission, uh, failure to do so can produce accessory nipples, which appear along the milk line. And there's about 2 to 3% uh, chance of this happening. The mammary ridge is a primordial uh, or primordial space for the mammary gland and that's associated with both gland and breast development. Ectodermal thickening um, starts about the f- in the first seven weeks uh, and that starts caudally and produces a narrow linear ridge and this elevated ridge forms along the milk lines as, as already mentioned which then separate into the individual breast buds which are located in the ventral midline. The ridge stops at about eight weeks and regresses and again starts cordially and moves cranially. And what remains is an ectodermic placode where the axilla develops. And when the mammary crest uh, shortening is complete, the structure remains prominent in areas where the glands are going to form. And subsequently, the uh, ectodermal cells divide and and grow into a mesenchymal cell layer uh, with a basement membrane that separates it from the uh, mesoderm below. In the second trimester, the secondary epithelial buds appear and they're from indentations on the main mammary bud, and they grow vertically into the surrounding bud, producing slender uh, slender stalks with a bulbous end. These coalesce and canalize and form what, what then become the lactiferous ducts. Uh, by about six months, this basic framework of the breast tissue is established, and shortly before birth, in the third trimester, there is a further increase in the vascularity of the fibroconnective tissue of the breast. Finally, after after birth in the neonatal period, there is some alteration in hormone secretion from the mother to neonate, and that re- results in uh, decreased maternal uh, estrogen 
and subsequent stimulation of the neonatal pituitary gland to produce prolactin. And this can often result in unilateral or bilateral breast enlargement with a transient milk expression in about 70% of neonates. At about three to four months postnatally, there is often a surge in hormones again that can be seen from breast tissue development. And in females, this uh, higher amounts of estradiol levels can result in breast tissue persistence. Uh, the hormone defendant phase really uh, starts uh, or re really starts a puberty and is, extends over a three to five year period. And, and broadly, the ductal growth is dependent on progesterone, while the lobular elements grow as a result of both prolactin and progesterone secretion. True maturation of the breast usually comes during pregnancy. So when we, we're talking about breast reduction, I think it's important to think about how we'd evaluate these patients in the clinic. Um, in particular, the exact pathology of what is otherwise known as hypermastia, and, and it believed that micromastia is anything uh, between 1.5 to 2.5 kilograms of breast tissue, and gigantomastia is more than 2.5 kilograms uh, grams of uh, breast tissue. And it's believed to be an abnormal end organ response to estrogen. And in a paper by Jabia L, they showed that actually patients often have normal estrogen levels and normal estrogen receptor numbers. And therefore, it's more of a hypersensitivity to the estrogen rather than necessarily increase in production or increased number of receptors. And obviously, we need to remember that they, people can get hypermastia in pregnancy due to the increase in fibrous tissue and fat, while the glandular tissue itself remains small. The consultation really needs to consider of three things. One, one is the general factors, one is best breast-specific history, and then one is a complete history of the entire patient. And apart from considering the social and psychological impact, as, uh, as well as the relationships and effect of these uh, the, that um, hypermastia may have on clothing, plans to have family breastfeeding in a previous surgery, consultation needs to focus on some key symptoms. Questions such as, uh, does the patient have any breast pain? Do they have any rashes and intertrigus areas? Are there any chest wall deformities, the state of the pectoralis muscles? Um, is there any paresthesia in the ulnar aspect of the hand? What is their posture like? Do they have any pain or symptoms of degenerative osteoarthritis in the, uh, in the cervical and thoracic spine? Are there any stretch marks or stri? Does the patient re report any deep grooving of the bra straps? Uh, furthermore, do the breasts look in proportion to the body habitus? Has there been any large amount of weight loss recently? Is there any pain in the shoulders, neck and back? Um, and otherwise any um, uh, breast pain uh, elsewhere. It's obviously important to get um, a full um, past medical history uh, as well as their drug history, social history, and, and really explore any of the psychological issues um, that the patient may be facing, both in what are their expectations in terms of the problems they're facing with their breast and, and, what, and what would they like the outcome of any, of any potential surgery to be. It's also important to find out what exactly the patient finds a problematic with their breasts and what is their, the most worrying feature. In terms of indication for surgery, it's important to consider when they're telling you the history any of the major or minor factors uh, for surgery. So you know, major factors uh, which have been discussed in the United States uh, and form, of some of the, form some of the CCG requirements in the UK would be uh, extremely large breasts, um, uh, shoulder pain, cervical and upper thoracic pain, severe uh, psychological embarrassment and recurrent intertrigo. Uh, minor factors which uh, do not feature currently on the CCG guidance would be inability to ex exercise, uh, difficulty in breathing during exercise, uh, and, and one which is on a major factor for the, in the United Kingdom is grooving or hyperpigmentation of the shoulder straps. It's important to consider any absolute contraindications when uh, in taking this initial history, uh, which might be in your mind. Um, extreme obesity in the patient, um, inadequate cardiac pulmonary renal reserve, which might be 
something they mentioned during their past medical history um, or something that is able to be delineated out. Uh, any current or recent lactation plans for, uh, for children which should be explored and any unevaluated breast mass. Um, relative contraindications include their smoking history, um, uh, what their uh, current body weight is and their um, body mass index, and their psychological state at the time of presenting to the clinic. Examination-wise, the examination really needs to focus on two aspects. One is an oncological examination, um, and the second is therefore a really a reconstructive examination to consider what might be the surgical options. Oncologically, it's important to examine the patient in the four quadrants, both lying and standing, and to really uh, observe um, the patient first and to look at the uh, cutaneous features of, uh, of the breast and nipple, and whether there's any skin changes or puckering of the nipple. Uh, it's important to, at this point to ask if the patient examines their own breasts on a regular basis and whether they notice any um, features or changes in, um, within their breast tissue or whether they've noticed any recent lumps. Uh, it's important to examine and palpate in the four quadrants of, of the breasts and also remember to examine the, limp, uh, the auxiliary tail. Uh, and finally, to complete your examination with uh, uh, the regional, loco-regional lymph nodes. The reconstructive examination is slightly different. It's best to get the patient standing in front of a mirror and ask the patient to highlight the areas of concerns or problems. At this point, it's, it would be, it's useful to note any symmetry or any striating and also pick up any chest, chest wall deformities and look at the quality of their pectoral muscles. And it's important to uh, discuss where their bra fits and uh, we will discuss how to measure bra size uh, shortly. Um, but at this point, it'd be useful to uh, check their actual bra size versus what, what, they, what they wear. Uh, measurements that need to be taken are the sternal notch to nipple distance, the uh, inframammary fold to nipple distance, as well as the inframammary fold width. Uh, it's then useful to note the degree of ptosis um, as per the Renault classification. Uh, and then if there are any other lumps in the breast tissue or asymmetry that can be noticed, and look at the skin quality, um, which will be uh, useful in working out what kind of reconstruction the patient will be amenable to. And then finally, it's good to discuss what size does the patient really want to be, what they had they thought about in their heads, and uh, versus what she is now. Uh, uh, it's also worth noting if she's got particularly large breasts and she wants to be particularly small, potentially highlighting the the issues with regards to vascularity of the breasts uh, with this kind of with those kind of re uh, reductions. Um, bra size calculating is uh, really important and something which uh, can form part of your uh, examination and uh, really allows a definitive understanding of what their breast tissue size is. From um, the, the breast girth is firstly measured and that's the, um, the circumference around the uh, maximal point of the breast. Um, it's, round the, uh, it's defined as around the plumpest part of the breast tissue uh, with a measuring tape. And then the chest girth can be measured and that is under the, under the bust around the bottom part of the breast with again with a measuring tape and you're looking for a difference particularly in a difference between the breast girth over the chest girth uh, and if that is by one inch then that is considered to be an a cup two inches a b cup three inches a c cup four inches a d cup and five inches a double d cup this chest circumference can also be useful in estimating the amount uh, in grams of tissue that would be needed to be removed to achieve each cup size reduction 
So for instance, in a cut chest circumference of between 32 to 34, uh, to achieve each cup size reduction, you'd need to remove around 100 grams of tissue. This isn't uh, definitive and often many uh, surgeons will have their own estimates or calculations. However, it's a useful starting guide, uh, particularly when discussing with a patient. Uh, there are tables available um, which can show uh, the amount of grams for 36 to 38, which is 200 grams, 42 to 44, 300 grams, and 46 to 40, uh, 44 to 46 chest circumference to 400 grams. Again, it's usually worth mentioning these thing, these to patients, particularly as um, if you're estimating their original and desired cup size. The goals of surgery are really to improve symptoms. You want to preserve the vascularity and both the neurology of the breast as much as you can. And you want to reposition the nipplariona complex in its anatomically correct position. You, you ideally want to produce a predictable, better-shaped breast which relieves their symptoms and improves their breast shape and provide some support for the parenchyma uh, for, a, uh, for the long term. You ideally want to improve, give a good improved scar and you want to have a tension-free closure that removes skin excess. It's key at this point also to discuss with the patient that um, there is about a 1 in 2 chance of complication or 50% chance of complications with breast reduction surgery, but in, 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 in over 90% of women they, they have um, positive feelings about their breast reduction surgery and are happy with it as an outcome. This is a useful thing to talk to the patient about in trying to assess their understanding and their psychology with uh, on their breast reduction surgery. Preoperatively you want to make sure the patient has had an up-to-date mammogram um, and, whether, and whether they are in a mammogram mammography screening program like we have in the United Kingdom. You want to discuss smoking sensation to try and reduce their risks perioperatively. And you want to discuss some of the pertinent risks of the surgery and, and those being loss of the nipple sensation, loss of the nipple full stop, um, particularly um, if they've got large pedunculated breasts, um, hematoma, uh, seroma formation, uh, fat necrosis, and discuss the risk of um, thromboembolism in these patients. Surgically, breast reduction is, is, a, is the reduction mammoplasty is a technique utilised to remodel the breast size and shape and it's different from a mastopexy which is moving the, uh, the breast tissue around uh, to give better shape. The breast reduction um, results in some loss of volume as a, uh, as a result of the surgery. And historically, this, the concern over breast shape really can be seen far back as the 7th century with the physician Paulus Agina and describing using breast reconstruction for gynecomastia patients. The evolution of breast reconstruction moves on to Hans Schaller in 1561, who was a German physician who actually conducted the first breast amputation for gynecomastia. 1669, William Durston decided uh, or described breast re reduction for breast hypertrophy. And it was Dief Diefenbach uh, who formally reported uh, a lower pole reduction by excising the lower two-thirds of the breast and is um, its posterior segment to, to hide a scar in the inframammary fold. Breast reduction techniques really improved as the understanding of surgical anatomy um, uh, continued. Um, as surgeons increased their undertaking of breast reduction, their uh, concerns primarily started focusing on uh, breast removal over the aesthetic concerns, and you can really see this with Bieleroth and Poisson in the 19th century. In the 1880s, Gallard, or Gillard, an American uh, surgeon, 
um, described a submammary incision uh, for glandular resection and Gunnard in 1903 excised the posterior aspect of the breast without skin and Morstin, who is also heralded of training Gilles um, in France, in 1906 excised glandular tissue and skin. Poisson in 1897 and Debner in 1908 formally dealt with ptosis by anchoring the breast glandular tissue to the pectoralis major um, around the third rib. In the 20th century, surgeons became a little bit more concerned with the aesthetic outcomes of breast reduction surgery. And this began really with Lexer in 1921, who described the glandular inferior resection uh, with undermining a nipple uh, transposition. Krask in 1923 uh, described a, uh, a similar technique, uh, which now has been collectively been known as the Lexer-Krask technique. And Diffenbach, probably, as mentioned before, is potentially the first to discuss the importance of the anatomic resection of the breast in the 18th century. However, it's really Thorek, which, who, is, uh, who formally introduced the nipple grafting in 1922, um, who really started to try and improve aesthetics. Um, Albert superseded this with a formal nipple transposition technique, which uh, per permitted vascularity uh, in both breasts, size and shape uh, changes. However, this required making, making sure the nipple was supplied by a well-vascularized pedicle. Schwartzman in the 1930s incorporated periareolar deepithelialization, which allowed increased resection of glandular tissue and, and maintained the nipple areolar complex via dermoglandular pedicle. And as we can see, as the anatomical understanding of the breast tissue improved, so did the transition to how the nipple areolar complex was moved. And it was only when surgeons started to realize that it was a subdermal plexus that supplied the nipple that we really start to see some of the big changes. Subsequently, however, surgeons focused on maintaining perforated vessels, and this was because they believed it was perforators that were supporting the nipple areolar complex. And despite poorly understanding the vascular anatomy of the nipple areolar complex, it was felt that um, supply was and its survival was dependent on medial and laterally based pedicles. Hence, superior dissection was done. The nipple blood supply continued to be poorly understood, being initially thought to be dermal, uh, May 1943, rather than subdermal, uh, Ari in 1957. It was Ari who advised avoiding subdermal undermining in order to prevent damage to the perforators. This ushered in the period of glandular dissection, and, um, and Strombeck and Patangi used this to describe what have been called heel and hourglass-shaped resections. Strombeck's technique is reported to have removed uh, lactation Stromberg described a uh, bipedical horizontal technique. Skoog further developed nipple transposition formally without a skin gland undermining, and this was the basis of what was thought to be a ped the pedicle evolution. And actually, interestingly, it is what spurned Lesseuse uh, to describe his own methodology, and we'll come back to this later. Wise in 1956 published uh, the technique for producing a reproducible markings and resections. And he based his designs on the markers of the brasserie designer Frederick of Hollywood. And so this is a, a really crucial transition in uh, breast reconduction with a, a, a regular um, skin, uh, skin flap design uh, which could reproduce a, a regular breast shape. Broadly, there, there are two 
considerations in breast reduction surgery, which um, through the evolution have been um, described uh, and in the mo modern era really have been described by uh, Lassus, Lejour and Hall Findlay. The uh, two considerations really are uh, the skin approach and then subsequently the, uh, the glandular pedicle or the dermaglandular pedicle that's going to supply the nipple areola complex. The original approaches historically were often through vertical incisions uh, with a circular or a mosque-like approach around the nipple. Uh, the, the problems with the straightforward vertical approach is that there would be considerable constriction uh, at the inferior point of the vertical incision and often migration of the vertical incision over the uh, original inframammary fold which would produce uh, quite poor looking scars. Even some of the early uh, techniques described uh, used to put in uh, horizontal incisions in order to try and get this vertical incision closed more appropriately. The modern approach is to use a wise pattern technique uh, as described in the original paper. The other concept is the uh, pedicle that supplies the uh, nipple areola complex itself and um, historically ori uh, originally in the United Kingdom a lot of people were using inferior pedicle um, breast reconstructions and then there was a transition um, globally to using a more superior medial uh, pedicle and one of the drawbacks of the inferior pedicle uh, technique is that it often bottoms out uh, in the breast. And what does this mean? Well, it means that the tissue, the pedicle itself, uh, over time through gravity moves, which means you lose some of the breast shape and you often get more uh, totic breasts at the end of it. Really, the first person to, to, to discuss with regards to um, breast reduction technique is Le Seuss. And uh, although vertical mastopexy was initially described by D'Artesia in 1924 and Ari in 1957, Lassus really brought his own vertical mastopexy in 1970. And he actually um, reflects in his own uh, journal publication that he saw um, Skoog present his technique uh, at, a, at a conference and went away from the conference and took up Skoog's technique himself. Uh, but however, he was so... Uh, unhappy with the um, results of the Skoog technique, particularly in the scarring that he that it left his patients, uh, that he vowed never to perform Skoog uh, the Skoog technique ever again, and he went went on to really think and develop his own uh, approach that would reduce the scarring and give a better um, a better outcome. Uh, that particular reflection by Lassus can be found, uh, and we'll list it on the blog. And it's interesting because he shows the, uh, in the, the widened scars that you get from the Skoog technique. Lassus's technique involves uh, resections on block of the inferior central skin, fat and gland. And the nipple areola complex is transposed onto a superiorly based dermaglandular pedicle. There's no medial lateral undermining and uh, the two limbs of the tissue are brought together. And um, Lassus originally described that in large reductions the scar would extend below the inframammary fold into the abdomen. And then he added a horizontal incision um, in order to cope with this and finally then reverted back to a vertical incision and gathering of that skin inferiorly. And some uh, criticism exists about the scarring of this inferior gathering of the skin. Lassus described that preoperative the patient is sitting uh, and there are two key landmarks. The first is the location of the new nipple, uh, and he would set that on the breast meridian two centimeters b 
below the midpoint of the uh, chromoclavicular to olecranon distance. The uh, next point is between four to five centimeters above the inframammary fold, and uh, the breast is then displaced medially and laterally, and the two points are then formed, uh, noted and formed a curve, a curvilinear incision over the uh, vertical midline. Surgically, the superior aspect of this is deepithelialized, uh, while the inferior is included in the on-block resection. Lassus does minimal posterior nipple dissection, which uh, leaves the glandular tissue below intact. Uh, Postoperatively, the breast appears to have upper pole fullness, and it takes about two, three months for the final shape to appear. Um, however, the final shape doesn't just rely on the skin brasserie, but also on the vertical scar, which supports the long-term projection and shape. The positive of this is it doesn't involve significant medial and lateral dissections and reduces the risk of skin necrosis. The infracentral wedge produces increased projection, and Lass has claimed that the nipple end sensation is rarely disturbed, and it rarely needed, he rarely needed to anchor the gland to the pectoralis major. However, the drawbacks are that the breasts have an initially distorted appearance with significant uh, setting in time necessary before the final shape. You can often get hypertrophic scarring around the inframammary fold, and it's difficult to get a predictable result. One of the other drawbacks is the superior uh, pedicle is a, is a limitation, as it the pedicle didn't necessarily have a distinct vascular supply, and um, the the superior translocation requires pedicle folding. Uh, Lassus also believed that you could only transpose this up to about 9 centimeters before the risk of kinking, and therefore it wasn't necessarily uh, advised in large reductions. It's probably worth at this point mentioning um, a mastopexy technique described by Benelli, at, um, largely as his thoughts on mastopexy and his thoughts on uh, why he chose to do that particular technique. Uh, are important when then considering breast reduction techniques. Bonelli describes a round block um, uh, reception uh, approach round the nipple. And the reason that he did this is because he believes that the, um, the mechanical properties of the skin around the inframammary fold were designed in such to provide support to the breast tissue. Um, and their, their mechanical properties were stronger. He believed the tissue over around the breast mound and the nipple was, was weaker and not for mechanical support. He therefore uh, based his uh, surgical approach to keep the skin around the inframammary fold and inferior of the breast intact so it could continue to provide support. And it's important to think about this when we think about some of the other techniques described using a vertical or a wide pattern incision um, because it makes you think about what that mechanically is doing to the breast. The next big player really to talk about is Lejour, and uh, Lejour described her technique in the 1990s, and she utilized an adjustable skin marking with initial liposuction and essential uh, extensive lower lateral undermining. And she was similar to Lasus in that she used a dermaglandular pedicle for the areola and central breast reduction. She was also similar to Lasus in uh, overcorrection in the superior direction um, in order to allow the breast shape to settle inferiorly. She would, pee, she would position the patient upright initially to mark them and mark the midline, the inframammary fold and the future nipple area would be marked. She would, um, extending from the inframammary fold, the vertical axis would be marked 10 to 12 centimeters from the midline 
uh, the breast would be elevated superiorly, medially, and laterally, and uh, she would then mark a medial lateral margin and, and produce a curvilinear incision. She would use a moscodome technique um, around the areola um, to join that incision two centimeters above it to give a future nipple site. She would then infiltrate with 20 to 40 cc's of a vasoconstrictive agent and um, the upper area which was previously marked would then be deepithelialized uh, and um, this would be deepithelialized two to three centimeters below the nipple. She would then liposuck um, tissue uh, in all levels of the breast, but she um, would not overcorrect the lower pillars um, in fatty breasts so that uh, this wouldn't leave too soft a breast with no structural support. She would then do um, a, a considerable amount of uh, lateral under, um, undermining in her lateral incisions, uh, similar to a subcutaneous mastectomy. Um, her central cut in the uh, central segment of the breast was about six to say eight centimeters centrally, and uh, she would have a two to three centimeters superior dermaglandular pedicle would be raised, and uh, the resection would be completed at the lower central segment. The nipple would then go into the new position and be closed. The positives of this is that um, can really be found in Lejour's follow-up publication ten years later in 1999, and she reported that she had a safe breast reduction technique that was had an aesthetically pleasing outcome and she believed her final post-operative shape was a stable conical shape. The uh, internal suturing and the medial lateral pillars would provide uh, projection and shape and there was really no um, reliance on the skin envelope to shape the breast. She also felt that the liposuction meant that she needed to do less tissue resection and would increase the preservation of the nerves and the vessels within the breast tissue. In her uh, cohort, only one patient experienced sensation loss. Um, however, uh, in weight change post-operatively, uh, this would lead to minimal shape change as there isn't much fat in the breast left, and she thought this was a big advantage. She had a wide areola pedicle with minimal undermining of this, and this led to minimal partial necrosis of the nipple. The negatives of this technique is that there are a great you need a great deal of patience in the post-operative period because the early shape gives an exaggerated projection and may need up to six months to settle. Um, you may get some skin excess inferiorly, especially in large volume reductions, and this often needs secondary scar revision. In 1998, um, Hampton uh, described a short scar technique, um, and he would... He wanted to have a limb, vertical reduction with limited scarring with the safety of an inferior pedicle for the nipple areola complex. He would mark the patient upright, he would mark the midline, the inframammary fold and the breast meridian, and he would put the new nipple at the level of the inferior mammary fold. He would uh, have an 8 centimeter wide pedicle at the IMF, um, centered on the uh, meridian and extending about 7 to 8 centimeters superiorly, and he would often once the areola is marked and the skin is deepithelialized to the lower part of the oval, the media lateral and superior flaps would be developed to a th thickness of starting of about one centimeters to three th to four centimeters laterally immediately. Uh, the superior aspect of the superior pedicle would not be undermined, and a crescent shape excision of the superior medial lateral portions 
would, uh, would give some volume reduction as well as flap thinning. The nipple would then be closed and tail attacked and then the imperial pedicle would be fixed to the chest wall. The positives of the short scar technique is that the fat and parenchyma um, posterior, posterior to the nipple are, are um, he reported that the um, fat and parenchyma posterior to the nipple are retained and there is less future breast flattening noted after the operation. He had little reliance on post-operative breast changes and he didn't feel that he got any more bottoming out or loss of the superior fold pole fitness than seen with other inferior pole techniques. And he was not limited by um, superior pole vascular compromise in large reductions. Um, he also used a purse string closure and a vertical um, a closure to um, uh, reduce skin wrinkling. The drawbacks of his technique was that the he got periareolar scar widening in about 17% of cases, he got wrinkling in 11% and he got nipple sensation loss in 28% of patients. If you um, if you had disruption of the suture line then you got significant scar widening and he advised that uh, in using his technique you, for reductions greater than a thousand grams you, you really need to get a good experience first. Um, it doesn't alter the IMF position either uh, and it may leave breast tissue at the inferior pole of the breast which can lead to excessive breast fullness. Paul Finley um, was the next person on the kind of final describer of um, breast reduction techniques um, in this period and, and she, uh, she wanted to avoid horizontal scar and bottoming out. And she started using the Lejour technique. However, in 1999, she modified the Lejour technique herself. And this allowed her to apply vertical reduction to, to larger reductions. She used a vertical scar with a supramedial or superlateral scar. And she now actually uses a superior, superior medial pedicle. She gets the patient to stand and she marks the inferior mammary fold and the meridian. And she puts the new nipple uh, just below the fold. She uses a mosque-like marking superiorly for the nipple and then her vertical limbs are five centimeters above the fold and they, um, uh, the um, uh, scars are marked five centimeters above the fold and um, they meet in a curved in a fashion two to four centimeters above the, above the fold inferiorly. Immediately six to eight centimeters of pedicle and uh, there is a one centimeter margin around the nipple. And there's a C-shaped tissue resection when the um, uh, tissue is removed. The positives of the whole friendly technique is that it is a Lejour style technique with a medial dermoclandular um, uh, pedicle. It's a short pedicle and you don't need to undermine behind the nipple and therefore there's a reliable circulation to the nipple area in a complex and the skin flaps. And there's no um, pectoral fascia sutures required. However, it does require uh, some patience with post-operative changes and it can give a pushed-up appearance and the, um, as the vertical incision is bunched up and therefore it needs to settle. It's important when, discuss, uh, when discussing or thinking about your breast reduction technique that you think about your, uh, your incisions. And um, with a vertical incision, you can't necessarily hide your, any dog ears in the nipple um, and inferiorly you can get some concertinaing um, with, a with a horizontal extension, you can absorb the dog ears in the horizontal, but you, you can't, the tension can't be too tight in these incisions, and it mustn't be too tight, otherwise you'll get necrosis. 
Uh, it's also important to think about the uh, lateral profile of the breast and where this reduction should take place. And if if we know the point of projection starting in the axilla, just as you're getting takeoff take of the breast, and you can see that laterally as well, then the reduction should be taking place in the upper part of the breast, not in the lower pole um, underneath, um, underneath the nipple. If the reduction is taking place, or if the tissue is being placed there, then you're going to get further bottoming out. During our discussion in our departmental teaching, it, it was commented it doesn't really matter if the nipple um, to uh, nipple to notch distance is 23 or 24 centimeters, um, as it's important to put this in um, context to the patient. It's also important to consider when the patient's having large breast reductions to consider um, the size of the breast tissue at this point, and the cup size that they are, and the cup size they want to get to, and the amount of tissue that's going to be removed and explain to the patient that the more tissues that's removed the more disruption you're going to get to the vascularity of the breast tissue and therefore the higher risks of complications of nipple loss uh, and um, potentially um, uh, skin loss with the breast. This is often a useful discussion because once the patient realizes this then they uh, may be more they may be happier to be less reliant on an end goal um, a cup size and more just to uh, think about the breast reduction um, uh, as a whole uh, to try and reduce their symptoms. In particular, when marking your horizontal um, wise pattern, uh, horizontal vertical wise pattern, uh, it's really important to also think about the angle of your uh, skin flaps. As the, uh, the longer the uh, vertical limbs, the less tension you'll have to close. Uh, and the greater the um, the greater the angle on that, that will also affect the tension that you have on your on your midline wound closure. Another area which um, is important to consider is really what the blood supply of your pedicles is. The lateral pedicle is usually supplied by mammary branches of the lateral thoracic artery. Um, the superior medial and, and medial pedicles, the medial pedicles often are supported by the anterior intercostal branches of the internal mammary artery. Um, while a superior pedicle often comes from a mammary branch of a thoracoacromial artery and therefore a superior medial combines that anterior intercostal branch of the IMA with that mammary branch of the thoracoacromial. You also can get mammary branches of the lateral thoracic being supplied in that as well. In the inferior pedicle, your blood supply comes from mammary perforating branches, musculocutaneous branches of the IMA, as well as mammary branches of the posterior intercostal arteries. A central pedicle usually relies on mammary perforating branches that are musculocutaneous from the IMA itself. When positioning the nipple um, in some general principles, um, it's important um, the nipple is positioned on the future breast and not the old. And when measuring your uh, inframammary fold, uh, it's important that when you, uh, or if you are doing the Patangi technique in order to do that, uh, that you um, um, try not to um, project your fingers upwards uh, when you're palpating rather than project them straight out as if you project your fingers up because you're going to automatically put your nipple much higher. It is often described in the literature that in large gigantomastia cases that a free nipple graft is often preferred um, and it's important that when you're doing your breast reduction to check the pedicle viability before thinning of your flaps as you don't want to overthin your flaps and therefore um, uh, decrease the vascularity of your pedicle. Um, it is believed by, believed by many that parenchymal support and parenchymal support just stops the bottoming out. Um, 
and this bottoming out is often associated with these inferior pedicles which have started to really uh, not be favoured, in particular hypertrophic breasts and it, the axillary fullness may also need to be uh, dealt with with some uh, lateral excision. And it's worth mentioning of those who have extension of that tissue round the back that they, that may be amenable to liposuction and they should be advised of this preoperatively. Finally, you really want to consider um, what uh, pedicle to choose and, and the inferior pedicle has been, pub been reported to be useful up to two and a half thousand grams which leaves a reliable intact milk secretion in 72% and nipple areola complex sensation. You can get a pedicle width of about three to one and six to eight centimeters in most reductions. And in large breasts, you can get a pedicle of about eight to 10 centimeters in, uh, with this, with the inferior uh, pedicle. The superior pedicle results in less ptosis and it's really recommended for nipple areola complex transmissions of more than nine centimeters or more than 1200 grams of tissue. The medial pedicle, which is originally described with the horizontal bipedicle of Strombeck modification, or that was Strombeck's initial was horizontal bipedicle, and the horizontal pedicle is the Strombeck modification. That's reliable, reliable for preserving nipple area of a complex sensation in resections greater than 1200 grams. And then the superior medial pedicle is really great for large volume resections of up to 2000 grams and nipple area complex transpositions up to 15 centimeters. So some of those things need to be thought about when you're assessing your patient and assessing how large the reduction is going to be. I hope you've found this uh, uh, talk today or these, uh, these thoughts on breast reduction useful and uh, we'll come back to you next time with another topic here at the uh, Theory of Plastic Surgery podcast. Thanks so much for listening.